as we take a little brief break from our study of John, and then we're going to move into the Psalms next week. Again, Justin Sherritt will be here next week to fill for me. I'll be traveling. I appreciate your prayers as I travel down to a conference in South Carolina. And we'll be getting back Saturday, so I will be back, but Justin needs to preach for his internship, and so figured that'd be a good uh, week to do it. So I will be visiting our brothers and sisters at Westminster uh, next Sunday and fellowshipping with them. It'll be good to uh, good to see them. Um, but we are taking this look at Romans uh, 14 and considering this doctrine of Christian liberty. And again, when we talk about this doctrine of Christian liberty, remember what category of things we are talking about. The phrase for it, the technical term we said is adiaphora. That is, things indifferent. Things that the Bible does not command nor prohibit. And as we've already said, that is the overwhelming majority of things that you're engaging every day. I mean, if you really just got very granular about it, you would see, again, there's just, you're making decisions every second. And if you thought about those decisions, you would realize they're all adiaphora. But the question then is, so are we saying then they don't matter? If God doesn't address it in the Bible, then does that mean that it doesn't matter? And the answer that we get in Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8 is, no, that's not true. In fact, everything matters, even down to the granular level. On the one sense, we are free and yay, right? The Bible doesn't command or prohibit, be adults, make good decisions. On the other hand, it's like, oh, every little decision matters. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, which also speaks about the doctrine of Christian liberty, at the end of that passage, whether you eat or drink, in whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And it's interesting, he takes eating and drinking. Now, we know, we've heard, if you, even as we read 1 Corinthians 8, eating and drinking in this context of Christian liberty are loaded terms. right? He's talking about, and you, you hear that the complications of 1 Corinthians 8, the, the specific eating and drinking he's talking about there is this eating food that was once sacrificed to idols. Now, we've already kind of set that scenario last week. These cities are loaded with idol factories. They're loaded with temples to other gods, and animals would be offered up and sacrificed, and then the meat that's left over from those sacrifices sold in the meat market. And this was a point of real contention. Now, see, this is a, a lesson on how to read the Bible. Because we don't suffer from that issue today. What, what do you do with, with 1 Corinthians 8? Thank you, Paul, for all that wisdom on how to handle meat sacrifice to idols, but that's clearly not an issue we're dealing with today. Well, no. Again, we read the scriptures. We meditate on God's word day and night. We absorb that story. We absorb those lessons. So again, we can improvise. You're probably not going to be dealing with meat sacrifice to idols this afternoon. But you are going to be faced with other contentious issues. And we must learn the words of Paul to the Romans, to the Corinthians, so we get the pattern. We know the character. We know the image of Christ that we are to be conformed to and therefore can act appropriately when we're dealing with a situation that Paul says nothing about. Paul never tells us how to deal with smartphones. Does that mean the Bible has nothing to say about it? Well, yes, in one sense, the Bible says nothing about smartphones. But the Bible tells you things about food sacrifice to idols, and you should absorb that so that when dealing with smartphones, or when dealing with this, or when dealing with these things, we can act in character. We can act consistently. 
So this was a contentious issue. There were those who were on the side that no way, no Christian should eat that. If you eat the meat that was once sacrificed to idols, you are participating in the sacrifice of idols. You are contributing to it. Maybe your money is going to support it. How could you do that? Or that's just tainted meat. That is meat that's been blessed unto idols. That's idols' meat. As Christians, how could you put such a profane thing in your body? And then there were others who were like, no, it's actually just meat. And I'll eat it to the glory of God. And I don't care what somebody else did with it. It's meat. And this caused real divides. As so often happens within the church. Oh, that there would be big fights over the doctrine of justification. But unfortunately, there's big fights over whether we should eat meat. That's what happens with Christians. We love to fight over this stuff. This is the stuff Christians love to fight over more than anything else. We don't know enough about the doctrine of justification to argue over it. But meat? I have very strong opinions about that. (laughs) But Paul doesn't say, well, that's silly, that's stupid, get over it, everybody do your own thing. No, he has very serious words to bring to us on this issue. And again, we are to we are to consider this in our decisions about adiaphora. So the the topic, if we think topically, the topic we're considering is the doctrine of Christian liberty. That as a Christian, I am free. I am free now to be an adult, if you will. And and for adults who have children, parents manage the Christian liberty of their children. My children are free in Christ as well, but God has put training wheels on our lives. And so parents have to manage the Christian liberty of their children. But especially as adults, we are free to obey Christ and to glorify him in matters of adiaphora according to our consciences. And our consciences must be informed by the word of God. Now, as we think about the doctrine of Christian liberty, and we did this uh, in Sunday school as well, the metaphor I use is like, it's almost like sifting soil. If we, if, we, if we had an excavator and we dug up a big scoop of soil, and then imagine we put it on a set of sieves, and we, we sifted it down so that stones were sifted out, and through one filter, and then another filter, and another filter, we end up with beautiful topsoil. And each each filter kind of sifts out different sized stones. So on the top of that filter up here, we have all these big rocks that didn't pass through. On the next one, we have smaller rocks. On the third one, we have pebbles. And on the bottom, boom, good topsoil. If we think about adiaphora this way, that we take a decision and we throw it on this sieve system, this filter system, and we're trying to make a decision, do I have that beer or don't I have that beer? Do I watch that movie or don't I watch that movie? Do do I hang out with this friend or don't I hang out with this friend? Do I take that job or don't I take that job? I mean, these are all adiaphora. You're not going to go find a verse that says whether or not you should, you know, have that friend or whether you should go to this school or whether you should have that beer. I'm dealing with adiaphora. So I I take this decision and I throw it on the, the sieve and I shake it and I let it run through a couple filters. And if it comes down out the bottom, if it plops down in your hand, then go for it. 
But if it's caught in one of those filters, then don't do it. And if we can have these filters for our issues of Adiaphora, I think they'll be very helpful. So what are these filters? Well, the first filter we thought about in Sunday school is the filter of our authorities. What legitimate authorities are there in our lives? Because the Bible tells me to honor authority. I mean, right there in the Ten Commandments, in principle, because we're big boys and girls, so we know that the fifth commandment to honor your mother and father is not a commandment merely about mother and father. It is that, but mother and father are the most basic authorities in our life. If we can't honor our mothers and fathers, then we don't honor authority. You are never going to honor the police. You are never going to honor your boss. You're never going to honor the elders in your church. It's just not going to happen if you can't honor mom and dad. So mother and father in that fifth commandment are given to us as, hey, we're to honor those who are in authority over us. And then we can apply what Paul says elsewhere about, you know, about servants honoring your, your masters, our, our, our bosses, you know, and, and in the church, respecting your elders and submitting to our governing authorities, Romans 13. So we can, all of that fits into that fifth commandment. So yes, I'm free to do all kinds of things, but then there are legitimate, and I we won't get into this because we did it in Sunday school, legitimate authorities who are within the bounds of their authority who limit my freedom. There's nothing sinful, I believe, about drinking alcohol. And so you're free. But the United States government says, but you may not do it if you're in a moving vehicle. There, the government steps in and limits my freedom. And so I can say, well, the Bible doesn't say I can't drink beer. So I'm going to have it. I don't care whether I'm in a vehicle or not. I'm free. The U.S. government can't tell me what to do. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we're to honor those who are in authority over us. And if our government says, and they're within their bounds to say it, and this raises all kinds of constitutional issues, and we don't have time to get into that here, but we're just going to suffice it to say that if, we, if they're within their bounds and they pass a law, a dutifully passed law, then we are duty-bound to obey that law, and it may limit our freedoms. There's nothing sinful about wearing a t-shirt. The Bible doesn't say thou shalt not wear t-shirts. But if you work for a place and your boss says you may not wear a t-shirt, come to work in a suit and tie, then you must come in a suit and tie. And if you disregard the, the person who has authority over you, then you're sinning not because t-shirts are sinful, but because you're disregarding an authority that is in your life. Okay, so we get the point. So we take decisions of liberty, and the most fundamental thing is we just put it there, like, given the legitimate authorities in my life, am I still free to do that? And sure, you may come out from that. You say, well, I don't want to work in a job where I have to wear a suit and a tie. Okay, but as long as you're under that authority, you're bound to do it. You go to Germany, you can drink and drive. So if drinking and driving is that important, you can have a beer. You can't be drunk. You could be tested, but you can actually drive with a beer in your hand. If that's that important to you, then move to Germany. Go to Germany and live there because then you're free. you can use your freedom that way. So we have, to, we have to know our authorities, but this is a legitimate concern and we really have to take it seriously. We have to be very careful before we blow off an authority that's in our life. That's a very bad principle. I am, and we were trying to manage this. I know I was trying to manage this at the school right, and at the church. How do we manage these things with COVID uh, uh, regulations. Where is it legitimate? Where is it not legitimate? I don't want to teach my students that, hey, if you don't like a rule, don't do it. If I'm going to teach my students as a school to say, I know the New York State government said this, 
but we don't like that rule, so we're not doing it. Well, then what's going to make them say, well, we don't like the dress code, so we're not doing it? Are we instilling, am I instilling in the students of the school a spirit of rebellion? And yet at the same time, we've got to manage the health of kids, and I've, we've got to think about that. And when is a law overstepping the bounds? The very, very complicated questions. I don't try to, I'm not trying to be simplistic. But at least we as Christians know that that's what you have to wrestle with at that authority level. So first, we put it on the civ of the authority. And if we find out within the bounds of the authorities over me, I'm free, okay. It drops down to the second filter. And what is the second filter? The second filter is your conscience. The second filter is this question. Here's the question you ask in the second filter regarding any adiaphora. And this is where I sit in church, to what I wore today, to whether I use my smartphone, to whether I watch the baseball game, or I mean, any opera, we have to ask this question. And that is, can I glorify God in doing this? Am I doing, the, the, the language that Paul uses in Romans 14 in the text that we read is, can I do this with faith? So Romans 14, verse 23, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats. We'll talk about that in a second. So you in your conscience, don't think you can glorify God, then you are condemned. If you think, I can't do this to the glory of God, and, and put it the other way around, I think I'm sinning if I do this, or this is going to lead me into sin. I think if I watch this movie, I am going to have lust problems. I think if I use my smartphone, I am going to waste my time. I think if I hang out with this friend, I'm going to my, you know, whatever. If I don't think I can do this to the glory of God, if I doubt whether I can and I do it, I'm sinning. Not because the thing in and of itself is sin. We're going to get there in a second. Paul says that very clearly twice in this passage. But because I didn't think I could do it to the glory of God and said, well, but I want to do it. I'm going to do it. So the second sieve, oh, my authorities, yeah, you're free, go ahead. I, I can drink a beer. Not if I'm driving, but I'm over age, my authorities, my, you know, whatever, they don't have a problem with this, I'm free to drink it. Now I have to ask, yeah, but can I glorify God in drinking this beer? Is this going to cause me to drunk, get drunk? Is it, you know, all those kinds of questions I have to ask. Can I do this in faith? He who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith, for whatever is not from faith is sin. We must eat and drink to the glory of God. And I love the fact that Paul chooses eating and drinking. He could have said, breathe. He didn't say, whether you preach or become a missionary, do all to the glory of God. Whether you witness for the kingdom or whether you... No, he says, whether you eat or drink. We are to glorify God, not just by, oh, I go to church, not just by, well, I read my Bible, well, I talk about Jesus when I have a friend who, who's, no, 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 you are to glorify God in the minutia. You are to glorify God in your eating and drinking and dressing and smartphone using and friendships and ball game watching and leisurely walks. You are to glorify God in breathing whether you eat or drink, in whatever you do, just in case we didn't get the point, in whatever you do, do all, in case you still didn't get the point, do all to the glory of God. 
Therefore, that second filter is a very complicated one. The first one's pretty simple. It really just simply requires knowledge. Am I, do, do my authorities have a problem with this? The laws are on the books. I can ask my boss. That's pretty simple. It just requires knowledge. This one requires wisdom. It requires wisdom. It requires maturity. Right? Because what do we do when we're young? Yeah, sure, I can do it to the Lord. I don't care. It's not even on my mind. I want to watch the movie. Of course, everybody has a smartphone. Very, very little wisdom. You never think you're going to fall off the cliff, right? You never think you're going to die from this. You never think, you know, you're young, you think nothing can go wrong. Of course I can handle it. But this requires, that's why parents manage this liberty for their children. No, you know what? I don't I want you to watch that TV show. I know, son, you don't know what watching that show will do to your worldview. I know you don't think this will conform you to the pattern of thinking of the world, but I know it will. I don't want you to watch it. No, you know what? Hey, I don't want you to go to little Jimmy's house. Because in my mind, I don't, I don't think hanging out with Jimmy is going to be good for your soul. You don't have to, you just want to go play with Jimmy. You just want to watch this show. I know you don't have the wisdom to manage it. But now we now we're adults, right? We don't have somebody managing that for us. It requires the wisdom. And praise God, you have the Holy Spirit. But it, you need to pray for wisdom because this second filter requires great wisdom. Because generally we are led by our bellies, our appetites, our lusts. We want it, we do it. Figure it out later. But this filter demands wisdom. I must have the foresight to see whether or not this thing that I'm actually free to do, biblically, will in fact cause me to sin. Whether or not I can do it to the glory of God. Paul says here in verse 14, listen to how he begins this. Because here's the challenge, okay, the complications of liberty. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. Clothes don't make the man or the woman. Clothes are not clean or unclean. Food is not clean or unclean. Smartphones are not good or bad. Baseball is not good or bad. Nothing is clean or unclean of itself. But I know and am convinced by the Lord that Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. This is where the wisdom comes. Right? All things, Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, God made all things, all things are good. But to him who thinks it's unclean, to the one who does not think he can glorify God with this, then he cannot glorify God with that. And this requires our consciences, again, to be drinking like trees planted by streams of living water, drinking from the word of God, and trusting the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our consciences. That when our consciences prick us on something, we listen. And we say, the Holy Spirit is, is informing me. There's something going on. Something is not right. Maybe if the thing is not the problem, but I'm the problem. Maybe there's a weakness in me. This is going to lead to something. I feel I ought not do this. Don't do it. Even if it of itself is good. 
a good thing, a free thing, a thing Adi offer. You are free to do it. But you don't think you can drink that beer to the glory of God. Your conscience is pricked. I don't care if I knew everyone else is drinking it. Abstain. Abstain. Because he or she who thinks it's unclean to him, he doesn't say it's not. Paul doesn't say, well, to him who thinks it's unclean, it's not really unclean, but let him. No, to him who thinks it's unclean, it is unclean. That is, the uncleanness of the thing does not reside in the thing itself. The uncleanness of the thing resides in the motive and the reason for which I am partaking of it. Now, again, we are not dealing, this is not relativism. This is not, well, if you're okay with sleeping around, then that's okay, and, and you're not, so you don't do it. You know, that, that's kind of how our culture, our culture takes us and pulls it out and makes it absolute. They, they absolutize the relativism. Okay. That's not what Paul is doing. Paul is only speaking about adiaphora. Of course, if the Bible forbids it, it's forbidden. If the Bible commands it, it's commanded. But again, for 99.9% of the decisions you're going to make, the Bible is not commanded to prohibit, and therefore we must think this way. If, in fact, our consciences are convicted, we must not do it. Paul says down in verse 17, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is what we're after. The decisions I make must be made this way. Will this lead me in righteousness? Will the fruit of this be righteousness? Will the fruit of this be peace? Will the fruit of this be joy? Is the fruit of the Spirit being produced in this? Can I glorify God? Can I do this with thanksgiving? Can I do this in a way that God smiles and is pleased as I receive a good gift? I believe beer is a great gift from the Lord, as is wine, as is scotch, as is Diet Coke. (laughs) These are great gifts from the Lord. The use of his creation by which his creatures have taken it and produced something. We've procreated with the gift of his creation. We have made stuff of his stuff. And I believe that is honoring to God and it's gift from God through his providence. But that doesn't mean I should partake of all those things. I have to ask, can I do this with thanksgiving in a way that God will smile on or am I abusing the good gifts of God? I can take a good gift and do bad stuff with it. Many, many people do bad stuff with the good gift of scotch. Many people do bad things with the good gift of good food. And we overindulge. Or with tobacco, or with cars, or with sports, or with money, or with smartphones, or with all these things that are good gifts from God. And we have to ask, am I using them in in the service of the honor of and the glory of God. So I take this scoop of Adiaphora and I throw it up on the sieve and I shake it and it goes through my authorities and it passes down to the question of my conscience. Can I do this to the glory of God? And I shake that sieve and it passes through. I say, you know what? I can. I don't think this will lead me to this. And I can do this with thanksgiving and pleasing to God. And I believe God will smile on the way that I'm drinking this beer. Great. It drops through that sieve, but there's one sieve left to go. And that's the sieve that dominates this passage and the 1 Corinthians 8 passage. And it's the last one. And maybe it's the most complex, the most difficult. The second one's pretty difficult. But the third one, even more challenging. And it's the sieve of my brother and sister. 
You talk about complications of liberty. This is where liberty gets really complicated. Because on the first one, I just got to know what my authorities say. The second one, I got to know myself and have the wisdom to know the implications of my decisions and whether or not this will cause me to sin because I'm with a bunch of people who apparently don't think it will cause them to sin. So they're just doing it. But maybe I ought not do that. But this third sin requires knowledge and wisdom and love. I must know and I must be wise and I must love because this third sieve might mean that I have to restrict something that not only I may do and I can do and I know will not cause me directly to sin but abstain from it because of the effect it will have on you. Now I have to worry about you in my decisions, not just me. And that's the complication that comes with this. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there's nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers it unclean, anything to be unclean to him, it is unclean. If your brother is grieved because of your food, and, and see, we go, well, I don't care. My food, butt out, look over there. See, that's how we think. What do you mean you're offended by my food? I'm not telling you to eat it. I'm speaking as a good American right now. A New Yorker, perhaps. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't speak to all Americans. It's, it's, it's New Yorkers who think like this. What do you mean you're offended by my food? Go get your own food. Look over there. Stop looking at my food and you won't be offended. That's not what Paul says. <laughs> he doesn't say if your brother's grieved by your food, tell him to look the other way. He says if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Eesh. And then just really strong language. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. It's not even just, well, he might be offended. That Paul sees the possibility here that by my use of adiaphora, my food, my smartphone, my beer, my baseball watching, my anything, my clothing, I could potentially destroy a brother. It's that potent. It's that significant your decisions regarding Adiaphora. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Let me just read through because I want to get this all in the context. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking. He's going to, this, is, this is how he's going to challenge us maybe to... what Matt, He's going to really ask us, and, and he does this in 1 Corinthians 8 and 1 Corinthians 10, like what matters to you? What matters to you more right now? The food or the brother? Because you just really want that beer. Or you want that food. But, but you've got a brother who it may destroy sitting next to you. Now you have to ask yourself right now, what do I want more? Again, am I governed by the gut or am I governed by the heart? Because the gut just wants the beer. And heck, I'm free to it. Why, why, should, I, why should I have my freedom limited by that guy? Let him deal with his own problems. Paul just doesn't go there. So I have to ask, do I care more about the beer right now or the brother? And he's going to say, the kingdom of God's not eating or drinking. Why do you care so much about that? Seek first. What are we to seek first according to Jesus? Beer and food and freedom? No, no. Seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. And don't let the beer and the freedom and the food it won't be given to you. You'll, you'll get plenty of that. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The kingdom of God's not eating or drinking but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. See, here's that third filter. Will this edify my brother or will this cause my brother to sin or my sister? And then he says it again in verse 20. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things are pure. The food, the beer is not the problem. All things are pure. But it is evil for the man who eats with offense. So what makes this beer evil? Nothing inherently. The beer is good. What makes the beer unclean is if you don't think you can drink it to the glory of God, but you do it because, well, heck, everyone's doing it and or, you know what, I've always wanted to try that, or whatever. Whatever the motive is, but your conscience is pricking you, and you shut it down, and you do it anyway. The beer's unclean. That's for the weaker brother. For the stronger brother, and Paul uses his language, the stronger brother is the brother who knows it's not unclean, and who can drink it to the glory of God. That's the stronger brother. He knows the freedom he has, and his conscience is not convicted on this issue. Maybe on other issues, but not on this issue. What makes the beer unclean for him or her? And that is, you drink a good thing in a way that is destructive and not edifying to the brother. Now the beer has just become unclean. Not because there's anything inherent in the beer. It's circumstantial. But that has just made the beer unclean. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things are pure, but it is evil for this man, for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat or drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, again, he says, look, we all know there's no... He basically says to the Corinthians, the strong brother's right. We all know it's just meat. There's nothing tainted about the meat. I don't care who it was offered to. You eat it to the glory of God there's nothing sinful about the meat. It's meat. It's a gift from God. Go eat it. Give God thanks. He's glorified. But if a brother says to you, hey, isn't that meat sacrificed to heaven? Put it away. And he's saying the implication is the brother who says that is the weaker brother who's like, you're, but you're a Christian. Why would you eat that? And Paul says, you know what? I am not going to destroy my brother because if my brother who has a weak conscience on this issue, sees me gobbling it down with no problem, perhaps he will be inclined to violate his own conscience. I mean, this is the logic of Paul in verse 19 8. And Paul says, therefore, if my eating has the potential of destroying a brother, I'll never eat meat again. I would rather give up the meat. Imagine saying that. Imagine any of us saying that. Pick something of adiaphora you love. If listening to that band, if wearing these clothes, if drinking that drink, if eating that food will cause my brother to stumble, I would rather never eat that, hear that, do that again than lose a brother. Now, it doesn't mean, Paul says, therefore, don't do anything that could even slightly potentially offend a person, right? We do all kinds of, I don't know what might offend you. I don't know what thing of adiaphora I may do that may be offensive to you or may cause you to violate your conscience. And so, again, it requires wisdom. Knowledge, 
wisdom, love. But each one that goes down requires all the others. This love requires wise and knowledgeable love. Sensitive love. Love that recognizes, the, I mean, Paul sniffs that right out. The person comes and says, hey, isn't that meat sacrificed to idols? Paul's heart is sensitive to that. He goes, I know who I'm dealing with here. And Paul limits his own freedom. See, this is something that even Americans in our, I mean, there's nothing more fundamental to us than freedom. But this is where we must let the Bible chasten us and shape us, even as Americans. I can't let the American in me shape my Christianity. I must let my Christianity even shape my Americanism, right? How do we handle our rights? Why are we, why are we a lawsuit culture like we are? Because there is nothing more important to crazy Americans than my rights. I have a right to this. I have a right to that. Just trample right over your private business because I have a right to this and I have a right to that. We've seen the idolatry of rights. We, we have seen in this country what happens when rights mentality becomes toxic. And Paul is pressing back on it. And he's saying, no, the ultimate final thing for you must not be rights, must not be privilege, but must be love. And love means self-discipline and even self-denial for the sake of my brother. Now notice, I'm talking self-denial. We must deny ourselves for the sake of our brothers and sisters. And this is very hard to do. But it takes maturity. Paul in 1 Corinthians 8, actually in talking about this when he says, if you eat this in a way that offends or causes your weaker brother, to, you know, be very, very careful, by the way, of encouraging a brother and sister to do something that you know their conscience is pricked about. Come on, trust me, there's nothing wrong with it. Be very careful of that. That's the kind of thing Paul's talking about. And he actually says in 1 Corinthians 8, and I won't go back to it, I challenge you to go read it in light of this, and go read 1 Corinthians 10 as well. He actually says, when you do this, you sin against your brother and so forth. But then he says even stronger, when you do this, you sin against Christ. It's not just my brother. It's Christ in my brother. Inasmuch as you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, what? You've done it unto me. Now he's talking about good things there. But inasmuch as you haven't done it to the least of these, my brothers, you have not done it unto me. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Right? Jesus is so identified with his people that when we sin against our brother, when we don't love our brother, when we take our privilege and our rights at the expense of our brother, we're doing it against Christ. That's what makes this third filter very complicated. Now, some things we did, I can't possibly know that would have offended you. I can't possibly have known that certain things would prick your conscience. But if I learn, then I should react in love. And there are some things where we know there's a good likelihood, right? I, if I'm with a group of Christians who I don't know, I'm probably not ordering the beer. If I'm with Christians I do know, I'm ordering it. And if somebody happens to be in the restaurant and says, oh, Bill, they come up to me. Oh, Bill, I know you're here. And they see me and I sense that offense, then I have to deal with that. I have to think about how do I manage that. I have known. I remember John Vance. John Vance would not order beer in public. He just wouldn't do it. Lest that ever happen. 
He took that seriously and said, I'm not doing it lest I don't know when I'm out. And all of a sudden, somebody comes and sees and they're put off by it and offended. And maybe that keeps them from, I don't know what it will do. So I'm not doing it in public. And, you know, unless he was in a very small group in a place where he just didn't think it would be possible. And he, because he said, I'm not hypocrisy. Not lying to anybody. If you would have asked him, he would have told you what he thought about these things. But he thought, look, if there's a good chance I'm going to be in the meat markets here and somebody from church is going to come walking by and be put off because I know some people in my church are sensitive about meat sacrifice idols. You know what? I'm not going to be eating this meat, boys. I'm going to go with the vegetables today just because I don't know who's walking up and down these streets. Now, how we apply this in our life requires, again, wisdom and love. But Paul just puts it on the table for us and says it all matters. All. Eat and drink, dress and use your smartphone, go to work, do your recreational walks, do whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Well, how do you do it to the glory of God? You honor your authorities. You do it with thanksgiving and unto his glory, honoring him with it. And you do it in a way that edifies and takes seriously the concerns of your brother and your sister. Hey, freedom is complicated. It's complicated. The Christian life is complicated. But these decisions matter. Adiaphora matters. And so let us do it. And I think this is what allows us then to come in confession and confess our sins because we can acknowledge, man, wow, who knows when I've done this? But now offending my brother or sister in Christ is something that we can see has larger implications. So I charge you and challenge you to reflect on this and chew on it. Maybe you've thought about this before, maybe you haven't. But we have to manage it. The weak and the strong, and you are weak, and you are strong on different issues. There are issues that your conscience is weak on, and there are issues in which you, are, you don't, yeah, not an issue for me as a Christian. So we're all in this. It's not like now some of you are the weak brothers and some of you are the strong brothers. We're all going to fall into these categories on different things. And here's, I leave you with this. Paul tells us to be one. Now how can weak brothers and strong brothers be one? And here's what he says. Weak brothers, don't you judge the strong. You also need to be careful. If your conscience is convicted on something, be careful that you don't start swinging around your conscience and wailing everybody else with it. Be very careful before you condemn a brother or sister for doing something that they are free to do. Especially if you have authority. You don't impose your conscience upon your brother or sister. That's what the weak brother needs to hear. If, you're, if you have an issue that you are weak on, that your conscience is convicted on, View your stronger brother with charity. Don't assume what they're doing. That. Oh, they drink that beer. Oh, they must get drunk. Why would you assume that? Why would, don't assume that. Even if your conscience is convicted, you know the Bible doesn't forbid it. Judge your brother or sister with charity. And the strong brother, do not offend. Do not flaunt your freedom. I remember being in seminary. I had buddies who would do this. They would smoke right out in the in the in the uh, courtyard, and they knew that it was offending brothers and sisters in in the school. But they would they would do it publicly. It was in seminary where the guys were offended. They would drink. Yeah, there were guys we'd go out and and drink, but they would do it right in front of other people who they knew they would do it just to say. And I know these brothers, and I love them. 
but they had that chip on their shoulder where they wanted to say, see, we're free. And it was wrong. Not the thing in and of itself, but why they were doing it. Clearly, don't flaunt your freedom. That's where he says, keep your freedom between you and God. You want to do that? Keep that between you and God. Don't be flaunting it where it's going to offend. So the weak judge with charity and the strong out of love at time to time we may need to deprive ourselves but we're governed by love. May that be what governs this church. And this is a church of great charity. So it's not a problem for us. But, you know, as we deal with things like masks, as we deal with things like vaccines, this is where you can see it. You can, it can be a a entry point for Satan in a church when we have to deal with these kinds of things and all of a sudden people start to form very strong opinions about things. And this is very complicated because you do have authority and you have love for your brother involved in there and I have to deal with how I do things and my own health. All three of those layers are involved in this. And it requires that we embrace our freedoms but that we act in love and charity toward one another. So may we contemplate this and work by the Holy Spirit to put this into action in our lives and then judge each other's decisions on this with great charity and grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for how it challenges us. Father, we love the freedoms we have in this land. We love the rights that we have. But Father, we can also see how rights and freedoms can become toxic when they are severed from the grace that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. We see it within our own land, Lord. And Father, we pray that you would help us to manage not only our American freedoms, but our Christian freedom well by the Holy Spirit through knowledge, through wisdom, and through love of our brother and sister as we navigate our way through the challenging waters of Adiaphora. May you be honored and glorified in this church. May you be honored and glorified in each individual, we pray. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.